0: Welcome back everybody to the Building Lifelong Athletes Podcast. I'm your host Jordan Renke. Thanks so much for stopping by. Today we are in part two of our three-part series of the 2018 Endocrine Society Recommendations for hypogonadism and Testosterone Therapy. Last week we talked more about kind of some general overview of what we're looking at the Endocrine Society. Maybe we're talking about the different types a little bit. Now we're going to get nitty gritty in terms of like some lab tests and how do we make that diagnosis. And then next week we'll talk about the treatment and monitoring there. So let's get started. Okay, now let's talk about how we actually make the diagnosis, right? And so we've kind of talked a little bit about that in terms of talking about precursors for in terms of some labs and stuff well, let's get in the nitty-gritty here so first and foremost there are two main main things that have to have is a clinical and laboratory diagnosis so when i what i mean by that well first of all it has to have both those components so when i say clinical and laboratory what i mean is we have to have the laboratory confirmation and we have to have clinical symptoms so like i said a lot of people say oh i got measured my testosterone and a you know some company said measure it at home and i measured it at home and i had low testosterone so therefore i've got hypogonadism that's not what we're talking about at all there's like i said we're talking about how we can formally diagnose it what that means but we need to have symptoms as well if you're just like yeah know, yeah, i feel great I feel great never felt better but i have low testosterone so therefore I that's now we're talking about here we're talking about having symptoms and then also having a low testosterone and on top of that testosterone also can be low for a variety of different reasons in when you don't have hypogonadism, so it can just be low and so for instance like let's say you just had an acute illness so you just got sick and then you test your testosterone it could be low it does not mean you have hypogonadism. like i said that's what we're thinking about there but also from a lab perspective like i said another reason with those home tests that i've seen patients come to me and say oh yeah i got this, this is what it is there's a lot to consider going to labs this is probably a whole nother podcast discussion but Um, testosterone has something called diurnal variation so fancy word diurnal means day-to-day variabilities meaning there's a lot of changes in testosterone from even hour to hour and day-to-day there can be drastic drastic differences in values depending on the time of day you know it might be even suppressed by food or glucose so they recommend you do not we want you to fast for your test because glucose and food can affect it and can can lower it also essentially because there's so much variability between the morning and the evening we recommend you get two separate readings in the morning so like if you're going to get this what we need you to do is get a pretty much first thing fasting testosterone so you get up in the morning you are fasted you go get it done you know rather around like 7 or 8 a.m something like that obviously most labs aren't open before 7 a.m But that's usually where we want to go. So we're fasting because, once again, glucose can affect it, and so can going through the day, whatnot. And on top of that, so we talked about how there's some nuance there, but then also symptoms, right? So symptoms are specific and different for everybody. So you might be asking, what are the symptoms that people who have hepatoconism typically have. Well, like I said, it's not that straightforward. Everyone's a little bit different, but like I said, there are some that are more specific, meaning give me a higher likelihood of having a positive test or make me think a little more that. Mm, this is probably it. So the more specific ones are either things like incomplete or delayed sexual development. So what we mean by that is let's say you have a teenager who doesn't really go through puberty, like, you know, a typical male puberty, not really going there or had really delayed sexual development. That might be something like, oh, that's a pretty high standard. We should be checking for that testosterone. Let's say also some people might have loss of body hair, specifically axillary in the armpits or the pubic hair. That might be concerning for, oh, are we having a, a deficiency in testosterone? Like we talked about previously, someone has very small testes, less than six millimeters, milliliters in clinic, that's something to look for. And those are kind of like the ones that are, okay, these are pretty specific and pretty concerning for that. There's some other ones too that are a little more subjective, subjective I'm sorry, more suggestive of it. It's things like reduce sexual desire, the libido or sexual activity. Um, like I said, both testosterone and estradiol or estrogen play a role in this, and so that's something we're considering as well. And then maybe people have decreased spontaneous erections or erectile dysfunction, kind of think about that as well. Um, also, if males have breast discomfort or gynecomastia, they may also may be indicating that we have low testosterone or they might have something called a unicoidal body, which these proportions have long arms, long legs, abnormal fat distribution, and decreased muscle mass. Like I said, typically we see that kind of with Kleinfelter syndrome, but like I said, just doesn't kind of look like the normal body type. Um, or let's say maybe you have had the inability to father children, or have a low sperm count. We consider about that. Or if you've had height loss, a low trauma fracture, or low bone mineral density. So let's say like you just fell, and all of a sudden you you're like a forty year old person, you broke your hip. Like that's not a normal response to falling. We might think, hey, mm, something going on because they have a testosterone or something like that maybe you have other symptoms like hot flushes or sweats testosterone maybe also can affect lean body mass so maybe you have um, changes in body mass as well but also like I said those hot flushes and stuff estrogen also plays a role and testosterone and estrogen are like very much linked as well and so that's a just kind of trigger us to look for that and there's some more non-specific symptoms so these are the ones that i see mostly in clinic for people they say they have things like decreased motivation decreased energy initiative maybe self-confidence they're feeling kind of sad or blue maybe have a depressed mood persistent low-grade stuff maybe they say they have poor concentration memory they don't sleep well uh, maybe a little bit of anemia they don't really have the muscle and strength that they used to they have more body fat like i said that's like the vast 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 majority of patients that i see they're just like ah, i just like don't feel like myself i'm a little little. fatigued you know i'm gaining some weight all that stuff and it's kind of like what came first the chicken or the egg you know is that causing it or are those other things causing low testosterone or whatnot and said it's not even guaranteed but that's why those symptoms are so pervasive and when i check those people a lot of times their testosterone was fine and so that's why we use two things because it's not just based on one lab but like i said those are ones that are if you were to get those we talked about the most specific ones or these are the least specific meaning you know people have these symptoms all the time it does not mean they necessarily have low testosterone obviously you can you can have those symptoms and low testosterone but when i hear those i don't think the first thing i think of is like oh they definitely are gonna have low testosterone they might but they might not we'll see And so, once again, going back, talking about those testosterone levels, they are affected by a bunch of things, things like acute illness, nutritional deficiencies, if you're on opioid medications, if you're taking glucocorticoids, which are oral steroids, things like prednisone, your age, obesity, diabetes, if you have sleep apnea, and just overall health status. So, When we're assessing men for testosterone deficiency, we should look at the whole person and should exclude other systemic illnesses, eating disorders, excessive effort, exercise, sleep disorders, use of regulation drugs, all those things. So like I said, one thing I didn't mention as well too much is that excessive exercise. If you're exercising all the time, all the time, all the time, that may also inhibit your testosterone as well in there's kind of in the sports medicine world there's something called the red s so or relative energy deficiency syndrome uh it used to be just specifically female athlete triad meaning like the female athlete only got this now we're kind of moving it to a little broader picture where red s where you know sometimes when we have decreased nutritional intake or exercise that can lead to these hypothalamic pituitary and hypothyroid or, or hypogonadism type issues as well and so like i said all, all i'm saying is when i talk to a patient and they say hey i'm having these symptoms like we should Stop and think. Hey, is there a illness that's causing this? Is there lifestyle factors that's causing this? We should look at everything. Stop and see. Hey, look at the whole person. See if there's something else going on that could explain this as well. And then talking more specifically about the variability of the lab itself, it is there's a large variability in population in terms of what testosterone is. There's just a lot of these things can be explained by genetic differences, or like I said, time of day, or what they're eating, or exercise. Like I said, all these things, but there's just in general a huge variation between the population. A lot of things like I said diurnal and circadian rhythms can affect it. Also, the assays of the tests themselves have a lot of variability, and so there's a margin of error for every test in terms of how much error we can have. So, you know, if you measure 400 one day, it could be up to you know 500 or 300. Who knows what, depending on the assay. So that's what I'm saying. Each lab has a different assay and has different variability and so one study that we looked at and they mentioned in the paper was that they looked at various assays they did you know a bunch of different assays kind of so sort they of ran these tests all throughout their experiment and found that in the same person they had values ranging anywhere from 45 to 365. so that's big so 45 would be very low very low and 365 were good it's normal so like i said that was just in their test variability like standard variability so it's kind of crazy, and that's why, like I said, once again, we need two measurements and done at the same time try to be as systematic as possible with this. And so overall, the CDC was like, man, this is a problem. And so they came up with a certified assay or said, or since he, what they're trying to validate things and saying, hey, you should use a CDC certified assay or an accuracy-based verified assay saying this has been done, this is verified, this is how we do it, because otherwise we don't know if we can trust it. And in terms of when we're taking testosterone, we talked about it, it peaks in the morning. So a large percentage of people who get their testosterone taken in the afternoon, it's going to be low. But then if they come back in the morning and check it, it's normal. That's why I've had patients before, like, it's like, low, doc. And then they're like, oh, when did you get it? Like, oh, I'm not sure. And I waited for two hours at the lab. Unfortunately, that can happen where I work. And... They say by the time they got it, it was afternoon, and then it's and then we were checking in the morning, and it's good. And so also, once again, glucose and food suppress it, so we want to measure the fasting. And then the reason we care so much about this is 30% of men who have a low testosterone measurement. So it's low, and they repeat it, and it's normal. So 30% of those people who had an abnormal one who repeat it have a normal one. So we need two measurements, and so that's super important. And now let's talk about the different components of the testing, right? So when I mean components of testing, I mean, what lab work are we looking at specifically of testosterone? So there's something called total testosterone. So total testosterone is the sum of the unbound and protein-bound testosterone circulation. If you go back to episode one, we talked about how there are bound and unbound, um, testosterone in there and essentially when they're bound they're bound to sex hormone binding globulin shbg and albumin and that is the vast majority of testosterone and in fact only about two to four percent of testosterone is free there's also another word you might see that's called quote unquote bioavailable so bioavailable testosterone this is the way i think of this is unbound and bound testosterone but the bound one has a low affinity for the albumin so it's easily available so it's essentially it's the testosterone that's readily available to act on the tissues that's what we think about in terms of the you know, bioavailable testosterone. And based off of this kind of understanding there's this bound and then total and free testosterone, there's a free hormone hypothesis. So this is the idea that intracellular concentrations and biologic activity of hormones are dependent on the concentration of free rather than protein-bound hormone in the plasma. So what they're saying essentially is that the free is kind of the one that acts on the tissues and that's what we should be looking at more. There was a specific study mentioned in this review about the European male aging study so those who had lower testosterone so they're looking at hypogonadid patients compared to men with normal total and free testosterone the men with the low free testosterone had sexual and physical symptoms consistent with testosterone deficiency regardless of their total testosterone so what they're saying is let's say they had a normal total testosterone but they had all the symptoms and that's why they're checking things but their free was low that seemed to correlate pretty well with those symptoms and so like i said once again maybe free has a little factor as well and said so we don't have to check it all the time we'll talk about when we need to check it but it is something we need to consider um, it did indicate that maybe free testosterone might be very important and so talking about that we talk about oh man we need to measure free all the time well do we need to measure it not necessarily but what they do recommend is a couple certain situations. So we'll talk about it. First, we're talking about those who have conditions that affect sex hormone binding globulin. So like we talked about SHBG, if we have more or less of that, that will affect how much free testosterone we have. We talked about it before, like it's a lot of testosterone amount of that. But if you have you know, less of it around, you should have theoretically more free. If you have way more of it around, then you might have less free testosterone. So first, let's talk about conditions that decrease sex hormone binding globulin. These are things like obesity, type 2 diabetes, use of glucocorticoids, progestins, or androgenic steroids. Um, You may have nephrotic syndrome, hypothyroidism can do it, acromegaly, and then polymorphisms within the SHBG gene itself. And then what are some conditions that have increased SHBG? Well, things like aging, you have increased that, HIV, cirrhosis, hepatitis, hyperthyroidism, and then some anti medications, estrogens, and then polymorphisms, within the shbg gene but they should be obviously the opposite so that's kind of a catch-all like polymorphisms yeah like you could have one that increases it or decreases it so that's like not too specific or helpful but something to think about as well and then they also recommend obviously checking the free in patients who have these type of conditions that may affect the shbg but they also said it's also reasonable to check it someone who has borderline testosterone so if you have a total testosterone that's like between 200 or 400 they say yeah go ahead you can check it that's fine and so how do we actually measure the free testosterone well that's also tricky if you learn one thing here it's that our labs are tricky for this and we don't have fantastically reproducible things but that being said they recommend if you can have it done via equilibrium dialysis method that's like their gold standard And they say if you can't do that though then that's okay because they can use these pretty fancy equations that use total testosterone shpg and albumin to kind of figure out what your free testosterone is and those seem to be relatively accurate as well and so If you can't get the equilibrium, that's okay. You can do the other ones. Just get your SHBG, albumin, and then we figure it out together. And so the million dollar question is, what are normal levels of testosterone? Well, there is a huge range due to lack of standardization of assays, calibrator differences, differences in reference populations, like everything. So we're all confused for a long time the cdc finally did create a harmonized baseline for total so just kind of total but these are only in non-obese healthy um, males aged 19 to 39 so that's kind of like the reference standard right once you start getting older it's kind of i don't know as well but anyways long story short for the non-obese healthy 19 to 39 year olds using the 2.5 and 97.5% like um, standard deviation. So in that big range, the range is 264 to 916. And if you use a little narrow range for the 5th to 95th percentile, it's 303 to 853. So that's probably more where people look in terms of like, hey, in a you know, bell curve, standard deviation between 5 and 95th percentile, right in the middle there, that's gonna be 303 to 853. So, generally, if you're thinking about it, yeah, around like anywhere from 300 to around 900, 850, anything like that. That's what the CDC is saying is for, once again, for patients age 19 to 39. It's not the same for as we get older. It's, like I said, once again, very variable. And what's going to happen there is they're going to say, hey, this is our our local population based off of this, you know, local data that we've determined, this is like the general range. And so, what's the average free testosterone? There are no normal ones due to various calculations and depending on the area, once again, you're going to establish a local reference range, but overall rule of thumb is that less than 50 to 60 picograms per milliliter is low. That's like generally what we I saw kind of looking up stuff here, and like I said, that's taken with a grain of salt, but so I'm not to like discourage you here, but like I said, there's lots of variability, and that's why um, they're very wishy-washy on this, because there's just not a lot of good data, and we're not sure, hey, what does this even mean? So... That being said, though, when do we screen people for low testosterone, right? Are we just doing it on everybody? Should we do it all the time? Well, the Endocrine Society recommends against routine screening in men in the general population. It's recommended against also using different screeners in the office um, when people are there for unrelated symptoms. So if you're just there for, you know, just general checkup and they're using a screener saying like a like, oh, do you have all these symptoms? That doesn't seem to be helpful as well because it doesn't seem to catch a lot of um, true cases of hypogonasm and like i said we frequently see low testosterone with no symptoms or signs and like i said the levels themselves don't make the diagnosis so you must have symptoms as well and so that's why it's one of those things where if you find it, you have low testosterone, but you have absolutely no symptoms, what are you, you going to do? Are you going to start someone on testosterone therapy? Like, so? that's the million-dollar question. So from their perspective, there wasn't enough data to support that, so they do not recommend just general screening. Once again, do different doctors have different practices? Probably, um, but that's the overall endocrine society's recommendations. And the reason they felt that is because they didn't know the long-term effects of testosterone therapy, right? Let's say you're doing it for years and years and years. We're not quite sure data is not great on how, what is the safety of that long, long term, so we're not sure. Um, there are some opposing viewpoints, though, in there, saying there's some epidemiologic data that indicates that those with low testosterone may have higher all cause mortality. So maybe we should be screening for them. But then the question is uh, are those with lower testosterone, do they just have more medical conditions? Like, is that the reason they have lower testosterone? Because they have more medical conditions. So therefore, they have higher mortality. Who knows? Just kind of playing devil's advocate there. But I think the general consensus is that we don't have awesome data telling us one way or another. And that's why we're kind of hedging our bets here. And so the people who are. You know there are groups that are recommended to be screened this are people with you know a high high prevalence of low testosterone concentration those are patients who had a history of pituitary mass like we talked about before we have issues with the pituitary maybe lead to downstream effects of the testosterone if you had radiation to the pituitary if you had treatment with meds um, that affect testosterone production or metabolism and also things like opioids or glucocorticoids it would be reasonable to screen for that as well if you're on withdrawal from anabolic steroid use recommended if you have hiv associated weight loss recommended infertility, osteoporosis, or low trauma fracture that we talked about, low libido or rectile dysfunction as well. And so, like I said, patient comes in your office, says, hey, I've been on steroids for a while. Hey, I've been on opiates for a while. Then it's reasonable to screen with that. Hey, I have low libido or rectile dysfunction. Also reasonable to check that as well. And so that's kind of where we fall into, like, the recommendations. Like, you're not coming in, walking in right away and be like, yep, you get it, you get it, you get it. at least not per the recommendations. They kind of want to be a little more selective about it because they want to make sure we're searching for the right people thanks so much for stopping by today. I really appreciate it. If you stuck all the way to the end, mad props to you because this is some dense stuff. So I appreciate it. I'd also appreciate it if you give this a five-star rating on iTunes or you share it with a friend. Those would be the best ways to help get the word out. And I'm just trying to help as many people as possible. So I really would appreciate your help, but thank you so much for, for listening to me and putting uh, your trust in me and spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. Now get off your phone, get outside and have a great rest of your day. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that the science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.